Good morning. It is wonderful to see everyone here and just know that we are always blessed to have uh, all of you here, whatever reason you may be here. Uh, we're glad that you chose to be here with this body of believers and you've encouraged us by your presence uh, and we look forward to seeing you again sometime, whether that's uh, on a regular basis or when you can be with us. Uh, we just love the opportunity to come. As you've noticed, we've got some great song leaders, uh, got some great uh, folks here. And uh, if we didn't get a chance to talk to you, we'd encourage you to let us do that. We would love nothing more than to uh, talk your ear off if you'll let us. We promise we'll let you get to lunch at some point. But it is a great opportunity to worship God this morning. We pray that uh, that is ultimately the case, that He has received glory and honor as He is alone is worthy. Uh, here in just a few moments, we'll be having a, a time of share time. We'll pass the microphone around, and uh, you can share your victories. You can share your struggles. You can share, quite honestly, just about anything. And this church is uh, committed to praying for you. Uh, you'll be put on our prayer list. It goes out to all the members, whether they're here or not. Uh, and we will pray earnestly uh, for, for the things that you uh, allow us to. We also have an email uh, that goes out as well. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable uh, saying out loud what's going on, uh, we obviously have folks here who would love to help you. I think Rick and Phil usually get around to almost everybody, uh, but if not, I encourage you to, to talk to them if there's something we can help you with. We'd love to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's why we're here to serve you. Uh, and it was a great day anyways, and then uh, Nate and his beautiful wife come through the door. We're thankful for them being here. Uh, of course, we love the Elrods and uh, love seeing them any chance we get. get. Uh, we'll start in Matthew 23, uh, in verse 23, and then we will uh, be looking at Deuteronomy and the book of Luke uh, to some degree this morning. Uh, I want to admit to you that much of my education and growing up in the church, I've often looked at the Old Testament, as I'm sure many of you have, as the, the wrath of God. We kind of talk about those stories a lot. Vacation Bible schools are everywhere and going on, and certainly that is a part of God's character, uh, that any true good uh, entity and loving entity, at some point there will be justice. Uh, that's just a part of, of it. Uh, I love my kids. I am imperfect, but I love my kids. But also, I know that at some level, I, as a, as a parent, have to administer justice from time to time. It's not something that I look forward to. It's not something that I wake up every day going, man, I can't wait to administer justice and, and show some wrath from time to time. It's not quite like that at all. In fact, I've tried to express to my children, that's not what I want to do. I would much rather... Uh, you do what I ask you to do and not have to be overbearing, but we all know if you've had a child that there are those times where you have to get your point across. And uh, certainly God is the one who's given us that. He has told us that his, the vengeance is His, and the older I get, the more I'm happy about that. I, I'd rather not be a part of that aspect, uh, although there is some level in Revelation that says that the believers will be a part of that in some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, and so, but I think more and more I read the Bible, and specifically Deuteronomy, I get kind of not the opposite approach, but the reasoning behind his justice. Uh, a large portion of the book of Deuteronomy, if you've not read it in its entirety, let me encourage you to do that, is about human dignity, uh, treating people with dignity. Uh, it is a heavy command that God gives us. Of course, we can look back at a 
a book of laws that was given two to 3,000 years ago, if not four, and look at it and go, man, we've come so far and we tend to fall into the trap of judging it by our, uh, our advancements uh, that largely have been brought on by Judeo-Christian beliefs. Uh, but it's important to read the book of Deuteronomy in the context of which it was written. And when you do that, it just tears ancient culture to pieces. We have a God who is concerned with dignity and compassion in an era where that was almost not even a thought. And there are a lot of things, like I said, we read it with our eyes in 2023 and go, oh, how old and ancient that is. But when you really look at the rationality behind it, it actually adds a lot of human dignity to people. And that's kind of what we're going to unpack here. As we look at Matthew 23 and verse 23, we see Jesus, an aspect of Jesus that is an aspect of justice. Uh, Not necessarily wrath just yet, but he's warning them. There's a word here called woe, and what that is is a warning. Hey, you got to get your life, you got to get this uh, priority fixed. Woe to you, because there is a God, there is a Jesus who will return, and when he does, these things better not be said of you. We see it in Revelation, right? Uh, I will remove my lampstand, I will remove my awareness uh, from you. And that's not where we want to be, and certainly not what we want to be here at Riverside. We want to be an awareness of who God is, and we want to project that to the world. And so we see here in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. These are the religious leaders of the day who instead of, in a large capacity generally, instead of using their positions to lift people closer to God, they've used their positions to separate people from God. There's you, there's me, and then there's God, and you got to appease me. And certainly may that not be said of us. There's no appeasing me. There's no making yourself acceptable in, in Travis Creasy's eyes. I'm flawed. I, I make mistakes. I struggle with things. And so the last thing I want to do, and the last thing this church wants to do, is add obstacles to your relationship with God. We want to project and promote you closer to Him as much as you want. We want to be a tool of assisting in that because the thing that Jesus gets onto them the most is exactly what is unpacked here. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These ought to ha- you, have, you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide straining out at a gnat and swallowing a camel. You've missed the weightier matters. How do you treat the most vulnerable among you? Because that is how you treat God. It's the two greatest commands. Love the Lord thy God with all, everything you've got, and your neighbor as yourself. You cannot keep the first command while ignoring the second one. It's how you show your love to God. is how you treat the people around you, regardless, in fact, in spite of what they can do for you. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. The people who are set against you the most, the ones who may have declared they are your enemy, you pray and love them. That's a difficult thing that we could unpack the rest of this morning. And our time would not be wasted. And so it's how we treat one another. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, talks about the impartiality of God. We know this because in Deuteronomy 10, 17, he says, I cannot be bribed. Think of how many people fall into that category. I cannot be bribed. I don't fall into that category. I can be bought. 
Uh, there's a certain little girl over there who bat her eyes at me, and I'm pretty much done, right? Unless I'm really sticking to my guns. We all can be touched. We all can be bought. We can all be bribed, and we have been. And God says, not me. You can't do this over here and think you're religious and mistreat this person over here because I see it all. He has the cosmological justice that we ourselves don't have. We cannot see every circumstance and every reasoning and every motive. We have to deal with a little thing called the evidence that we have. (laughs) And we have to deal in those things, and Deuteronomy deals with that. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and we'll look uh, at a few of the passages here and make our way to Luke in our time that we have. And so Deuteronomy chapter 24, once again, I would encourage you to read the entirety of the book uh, and try to do lenses that are a little different than our own and looking at the culture in which it was written. Deuteronomy chapter 24 starts with laws concerning divorces and then it goes into the miscellaneous laws. And we're going to pick up there in verse 17. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner, the foreigner, or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. Remember James, right? What is true and undefiled religion? Take care of the fatherless and the widows. He tells us what is your relationship with God can be measured in how you treat the most vulnerable among you. That is a measuring stick that the prophets hammered. Right? That's every prophet comes along and goes, here's the judgment that's coming because you've mistreated the poor. And you may be saying, well, the widow and the fatherless doesn't always mean the poor. In Deuteronomy it does. Every time. When things, when society breaks down, the first to be to suffer are women and children. It, it, it's history. It's it's it, you lock it down, and hopefully we're a long way from that. Hopefully we're we're way away from society breaking down. But those are the things that equate to being poor in the days of Deuteronomy. And so it continues. What do you do? You leave that for the, for the poor. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember, and here's the key, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. It's all grounded in gratefulness. When I understand how grateful I should be, to a God who sees all the evidence to condemn me and has chosen not to, has chose to be kind to Travis Creasy, then guess what? That should help me remember to be kind to my neighbor regardless of what they have done because in some degree that's how God works. While we were yet sinners. And so he hammers that. Oh, if you've never read the Old Testament, you know when you do read the Old Testament, you'll pick up on a theme. Remember when you had nothing and I gave you everything. Because that will help you. As I get older, the more difficult it is to be grateful. I feel like that guy who shakes his fist at the sky for being blue. Shakes my fist at the cloud for being the shape it is. I can't do anything about that. But he's trying to remind them to be 
grateful. It's interesting in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, here comes this foreigner, this centurion. Now, I would not look at a centurion and say he's poor, right? From a material thing, he probably had everything he needed. He was a general over a hundred men. Probably not poor, but in relation to God, right? He's not a Jew. He doesn't have all the things and the access that the Jews had, but he does believe in God. And he comes to Jesus. He says, I believe you can heal. I need you to heal this person. And Jesus says, well, I will go. And what does he say? No, 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 no. I know how this works. I command over a hundred. You can say they're healed and they will be. It's interesting to me that Jesus responds in all of Israel. I have not seen a faith like this. Now think about who he's talking to. Israel. He's talking to the chosen people of God. I've not seen this. Now, I also want you to think about, I think Jesus is speaking in ministerial human three years, but if we think of Jesus as in forever, that's a bold statement. In all of Israel, I've not found someone with this faith. Now, I don't know if you could look at it that way. We can make an argument. I don't know. But that gets interesting when you think about how long Jesus truly has been around. And he makes this statement about this sojourner, this person who is not of Jewish blood, Jewish background, who is a God-fearer. In fact, he gives the reason why he doesn't want Jesus to come to his home. First of all, he says, I'm... I'm not, I don't deserve it. You have a great honor. I don't deserve that honor. But he also even knows probably Jewish law that a Jew cannot come into the home of a Gentile. That was not good. It was not allowed. It was considered uh, unclean. And so he says, oh, you don't have to come to my house to do the things you need to do. What a bold faith that hopefully this room full of Gentiles has. Right? That we're shooting for that, that God can do whatever He wants to do. When we do share time, that's what we're admitting to the world. We believe in a God who hears and is active 24-7. He doesn't need to take a nap like I do, and hopefully we'll get to do at some point this week, even though I will be at camp. It will be desperately needed. You look at verses 11 through 17, Jesus moves on. I, I don't know that this is why Luke packed these two things together, but it works out nice for this sermon. Right, You get to uh, verses 11 through 17 and we see this widow who's lost her son. He's dead. Now let's go back to what we were talking about. Right, If you're a widow and unmarried, you are in a bad situation. You're considered poor for the most part. Generally speaking, if you don't have that man to provide security for you, you are considered in that culture to be poor and destitute. And here comes a son who could possibly be the hope and security that would come along to take care of her, and he's dead. I want you to try to imagine the level of distraught, right? This isn't just, I lost a son, which is enough, which some of you may have experienced. It's enough to be upset, to be angry, to be emotional with God, and then throw in the fact that your hope and your security and your future more than likely is tied to this son who is now dead. And this Jesus guy shows up and raises him from the dead. I can't even imagine wrapping my brain. I believe that it happened. But to see it, to experience it, to go from utter hopelessness, what am I going to do? 
in the next 15 minutes? The next day. Where am I going to get food? Where am I going to get security? And here comes Jesus and provides it all. To some degree, it's not much different if we really truly remember what He's done for us. That He's given us hope. Even in the dark world. Even through death. He brings death and disease. He brings cleansing and life. What a wonderful thing. If we truly believe that, our ability to share that with people would be a lot less difficult. If we're truly grateful for what He's done. Remember in Deuteronomy 24 and verse 22, it says, Remember that you were a slave. In John 8 verses 31 through 38, there's a discussion between Jesus and these Jews, many of whom had believed. And it's mind-boggling to think that these Jews could respond to Jesus when He's talking about being enslaved to sin. Right? He's making connection there. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's a connection with us. No matter if you're from the Bible Belt or you live somewhere else or you live on the other side of the planet, guess what? We've all missed the mark. We've all sinned. We've all come short. I've blown it more times than I've made it. Right? We all have that connection and it connects us. It's who we go to for answers and healing and life and hope that really makes the difference. And Jesus has opened that invitation to all of us. But their response to being enslaved to sin is, we've never been enslaved to anyone. And there you see the problem. A large portion of the Old Testament says what? Remember when you were slaves in Egypt, when you had nothing, I gave you everything. I stood up for you. I defended you. I delivered you. And here we see the problem in John 8. We've never been enslaved to anyone. I mean, we could make a list of all the world powers. And Jesus just cuts to the chase. You lie like your father, the devil. You have turned to idol worship, which is the very reason, right? People go, people want to make, I've heard people make the argument that it's a race thing that why the Jews were chosen. No, it's not a race thing, it's because God chose them. And he tells them the exact same thing. These people have been removed from the promised land because they have sinned against me. And if you do the same, guess what's going to happen to you? Actually, it's going to be a little worse because you know better. Right? My kids have heard that all week. You know better. Right? I heard that all my life. I'm still hearing it. Every time I read the Scriptures, it's like it might as well be just saying, you know better. You know better than that. But you just keep on doing it. And so they were held to a higher standard and punished more severely in some cases because they knew better. And so they had lost connection with that they were once slaves as well. And I think it is a detriment to any church family, any believer in Jesus to lose contact with how lost we were without Him. Because if we remember that, I mean, Paul tells us in Thessalonians, the will of God is that we would be grateful, that we would be thankful in all circumstances. How do we do that? We constantly remind ourselves of where we would be without Him. And we want to reach. It encourages that urgency to reach out to those who are without Him. Because we know what that feels like. And we have to stay connected to it. Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 16, he talks about scales. He says, you do not use, you do not cheat people. For God will curse that. 
We see Jesus living that up. Luke 19, 45 through 48. He comes in, he cleanses the temple. They turned it into a den of thieves, of robbers. They were cheating people. Hey, you got to come in here and sacrifice. We know that you can't afford it. And so we're going to gouge you on the price to sacrifice. And Jesus is not happy about it. One of the only instances we see, if not the only instance, where he physically takes action against these people. Why? Because they were mistreating the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. In fact, we see Jesus lift this woman up who comes and gives everything that she has. All these other folks are giving out of their abundance, and she gives everything that she has. You may be sitting there this morning saying, I'm all I've got. And that's all God wants, is all that you've got. Some of you may be sitting there, and you may be counting up your talents, and you're like, well, I only got about half of one. That works. That's the beauty of it. God can take your half talent and do wonderful, amazing things with it. You take... Uh, I've heard the phrase, you know, and I got two pennies to rub together. That was the wit. This is a lady, right? She, she had two pennies to rub together. That was it. And it was enough that we'll talk about her for the rest of her life. In James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For judgment is without mercy for the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How much mercy do we show the most vulnerable in our society? God is concerned in the most, you know, our wild, wild west in our history in this country still does not compare with the history of the world, the atrocities and the terrible things that happen to people. And yet we have a God even then who comes along and says, I am concerned with dignity and compassion and if you can't show those things to the most vulnerable, don't even show up on Sunday, if I can add that. Don't show up at the temple. Don't sacrifice. Don't do these things. In fact, I hate them. When you bring those to me and yet you treat your neighbor badly, poorly, I don't want those things. And so today, how much mercy have you shown? Because James tells us, and that's just an echo of the Old Testament, that God will honor those who show mercy because he is concerned with mercy. If there's nothing else today that you can be thankful for, be thankful for a God who is concerned with mercy. In the book of Deuteronomy, he tells us, he says, those who disobey me, they will be punished to the third and fourth generation. He says, but those who love me, I will show kindness to the thousands of generations. We have a God, we serve a God who is more concerned with being kind to you than punishing you. In fact, he wants you to feel the overwhelming nature of his love because that's the ultimate motivator. Yes, he will use fear because that's a great place to start. But that's not a place he wants you to stay. He wants you to feel that. This morning, if there's a way that we can assist in that, that we can come alongside you, that we can suffer well, right? Suffering well is not suffering in silence. Suffering well is not going, oh, I can't bring this to God. He's big enough to handle your emotions, your anger, your upset. He wants you. He, he longs for you to give that to Him so that He can walk along with you. And if He wants to walk along with you, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So give us that opportunity this morning. If there's a way we can assist you as we stand and sing, this is our tradition to give you an opportunity uh, to, to make a decision, whatever that may be. Uh, if you're outside of Christ this morning, we would love nothing more than to assist you in being 
joined to the body of Christ. If you're in Christ and yet you're struggling, welcome to the party. It's a great club. We're all in it. And we are, depending on what day it is, how bad it is, but we still have each other to walk alongside each other. And we'd love to do that. If there's something in your life that needs to be made right, uh, you don't need me to do that. You just need God to do that. But we would love to assist you in prayer. Uh, and if you would like to just wait till share time, that's great too. Uh, but we would love to encourage you to make a commitment to Jesus today as we stand and sing.